Thank you for listening to BLC's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, it's interesting, the name of the church is Breakthrough, and I was telling Sean, I think yesterday or day before, uh, the prayer I have prayed, I think this would be accurate, probably five times more than any other prayer in my life over the last five years has been for breakthrough, the spirit of breakthrough. God reveals himself as the spirit of breakthrough, the God of the breakthrough. So it's, it's just a treat to be here. It's wonderful to be here with you guys, and <clears throat> thanks for hosting us so well and taking care of us. And it's just fun to be in a room with people who love Jesus like you do. So that uh, has been a real treat. <clears throat> a man and his wife. You knew it was coming. <laughs> a man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. <clears throat> the undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it. He told him he'd just soon have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here, spend only $150. The man replied, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> oh my, okay. By the way, a, a compilation book has been released here in South Africa. It's not even in Reading. This is the only place where it is. It will eventually be in the UK and here. I don't know why you guys are so lucky, to be honest. It's three books. It's uh, When Heaven Invades Earth, uh, Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind, and uh, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. Three of my books that I did with Destiny Publisher. They put them all into one, and it's available somewhere in the bookstore. Who's the most desperate person in the room? Is it you? All right, right there in the white. Sorry, she went, she raised it first. And the rest of you, I'm just sorry. I'm just, I'm just so sorry. All right, let's, uh, let's get going. We've got uh, a few minutes left where, where I get to uh, talk with you. <clears throat> uh, completely off subject of what I want to share with you, I've, I, I want to share a thought with you unrelated to what I'm going to teach on. Um, I've never, I don't remember ever sharing this with a group of people although with a number of friends through the years, I've, I've made this comment uh, privately. But I'm going to uh, say it to you. <clears throat> we have a limited number of days 
all of us. We're eternal beings, but not eternal bodies. And we, each of us, are on this earth for a limited amount of time, whatever that time is. Mine's going to be quite long. <laughs> I've, I've been planning at 120, so this is, this is a good, good word. All right. So we have a limited amount of days. Would you agree? This is not a trick question. <laughs> we have a limited amount of strength. Bob Jones told me once, spiritual laws are more important than natural, but if you break the natural law, the enemy will be able to steal from you in a way that he wouldn't otherwise. Natural laws of just taking care of yourself physically. We have a limited amount of strength. So we have a limited number of days. We have a limited amount of strength, but we have access to unlimited resources. And most ministries spend what is limited to save what is unlimited. I'll leave that there. All right. I, I feel like the Lord's going to rework the way we think. That's the whole point. Rework the way we think. Doesn't mean we're invited to being careless. It just means we have to think different. Because some things are unlimited. And if we don't think that way, we're not thinking with the mind of Christ. He wasn't nervous about the crowd that needed to be fed. He wasn't nervous about the tax that was due. Sent the guys fishing. They caught a fish with a gold coin in his mouth. The point is, he thinks different than we do. Most of us are intimidated and or impressed by numbers, and he isn't. Eternity is the cornerstone of logic and reason. Once you remove eternity from the equation, we make decisions that are foolish. Because we are all living for then. There's great joy, there's great delight, there's great pleasure in the journey now. But none of it will hold a candle, so to speak, to eternity. I'm impressed every four years with the Olympics and seeing these athletes that will train six, eight, ten hours a day, six days a week for four, five, six years, run a ten-second race. And that's what we're doing for a lifetime, to hear one phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. We're all Olympic athletes training for one moment. I have felt for quite a while, I love, I'm so thankful to be here with Sean. <clears throat> I have felt for so long that what he does and his spiritual sons and daughters are really, really becoming a prototype of what God is releasing into the earth to bring the transformation, the change of cities and nations. 
So I, I love hearing the story so much of what God is doing and how he's using him and raising up these people that go into the darkest places and into the brightest places and equally minister with such authority and power. I love that. And I feel like I don't think it's an accident that we get to be here together uh, for this moment because there's something that the Lord is imparting uh, to this church but also to the people who have gathered here. Uh, there's, there's a a culturizing effect. He, he's, he's giving us glimpses of his world. Tiny little glimpses, but they're real just the same. You'll hear a story and you'll get a glimpse of his heart that you've never seen before, that I've never seen before. You'll see something in the scripture you've never recognized before, but in that moment it becomes clear. Everything that he does in this, in this way is to endear us to a world we cannot see. Everything that he's working and building in us is, is to endear us, is to turn uh, the, the affections of our heart towards, towards a, a world that we cannot see. And anyone who has their affection set, anchored in a world they cannot see can be entrusted with abundance in the world they can see. It's another way of saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's, he's, not, he's not trying to raise up a generation of people that that have no care or concern or vision for this world. That frustrates me a bit when I, when I run into people that, that are, well, the phrase that I heard growing up as a kid, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. <clears throat> I, I don't know if I like the phrase or not, but it makes sense in this context. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is a little tired. <clears throat> but the Lord the Father has in his mind right now an answer for every dilemma that exists in our personal lives and on the planet. It doesn't matter what kind of political crisis, economic, personal, health, doesn't matter what it is. He has a solution in mind. And the revelation of Scripture is it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the mysteries of the kingdom, of the king's domain. In other words, if the king were to come and set up his dominion over that issue that you're thinking about, it would be changed into something else. Where there was disease, there would no longer be disease. Where there was conflict, there would be peace. Where there was decay and death, there would be life and, and uh, fervor and vitality. It's just when the dominion of God comes and is expressed in individual situations, it is completely different and it begins to mirror here what is in existence there. Mirror here what's there. The prayer on earth as it is in heaven, I, it's just an opinion, but I, I look at that prayer as the greatest commission for the believer. 
I personally think the Great Commission that we uh, refer to in Matthew 28, as glorious as that is, going to all the world, <clears throat> preach the gospel, that glorious, glorious commission is actually an expression of the primary commission, which is on earth as it is in heaven. The mandate, the the momentum, if you will. Jesus was sent by the Father. Jesus came with a momentum to cause this world to look like that one. And every time he would minister to a person, that's exactly what happened. The verse I quote often in Matthew 12, 28 says, excuse me, Jesus said, if I cast a demon out of you, by the Spirit of God. So that tells us his link to knowing what the Father was doing was the Holy Spirit upon him. If I cast a demon out of you by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God came upon you. So here we see an individual tormented and the kingdom, the reality of God's dominion comes crashing in to torment and torment can no longer stay. Another way to put it is light collided with darkness and it was not a contest. When you turn the lights on in the room, there's no pause with an argument. You don't hear darkness say, I'm not leaving. Light is so superior that it is automatically driven away. And there, there, is, there is no war in the heavenlies between God and the powers of darkness. That's not a contest. The devil would love for us to think in those terms. There are a war between the angelic realm, but not between God. God just goes, <laughs> it's not a contest. Eternal one with the created one, it's not a contest. So here's this mandate that we've been given. First, I think it's important that we recognize the mandate is not just on earth as it is in heaven. The mandate is pray. On earth as it is in heaven. The first mandate, pray. You've been created as a delegated authority. You've been created as a co-laborer with the one who created all things. He did not create us because he needed us. He created us because he delights in us. And he brought us into this relationship with him, this relational journey where we partner with him and as as people who have a will to choose to delight in him and to pray that his dominion would be realized in every broken situation in life. He created people in his image who would worship him by choice. We were not created as computers or robots to perform at his beckon. It's, it's, a, it's a relational journey. And the more we see of him, the more we delight in him, the more we want that to impact everybody. And I've got, I'm gonna run through something in, uh, in 10 minutes that I would normally spend an extended period of time on. But I'll just deposit these these thoughts uh, for you. We've been 
you know the term reverse engineering where you have something, you take it apart to try to figure out how it works. We've, we've come into some things as a church family, as a leadership team. Some of my team, we've been together for over 40 years. Uh, we've been in covenant relationship, friendship, partnership in life and ministry. Families have lived together. We, we've just done life together for a long time. Uh, others uh, have been around for 25 years, 24 years. But the point is, there's a lot of history between us in our team. And there are certain things that we have stepped into that we didn't have the intelligence to create. And oftentimes the blessing of the Lord is that way. You, you, you didn't sit down and strategize your way into breakthrough. You just ended up there and you realize, man, I didn't, I didn't earn this one. All I did was follow a cloud. <clears throat> but once you get there, you have the opportunity to reverse engineer. Why? Because if you can understand the process, you can communicate it and release that reality over a company of people. <clears throat> Not so that we can apprehend through our intelligence or our strategy, but something is given to people who have understanding, a kingdom understanding. Look at the centurion. When he explained the chain of command, Jesus equated that understanding as faith, which is phenomenal because faith does not come from the mind, it comes from the heart. <clears throat> faith comes from the heart. With a heart man believes unto righteousness. Faith doesn't come from the mind, but the renewed mind is like the banks of a river. It creates the context for faith to flow in. Good point, Bill. <clears throat> so let me give you these four things. We've been reverse engineering for a number of years. I, I have been. I've been on this journey specifically pursuing this thought to reverse engineer to find out what did you do? Will you give me a glimpse to see what you did that caused us to be here and we know that we didn't earn it? I mean, we, we've obeyed. I, I, I don't want to pretend there wasn't a prize, none of that stuff. That's all a part of the journey. But the price I have paid, many would consider great. But when you see what he rewards you with, it's embarrassing to talk about the price you pay. It's embarrassing. I, I hardly ever, ever, ever talk about it. It's like, yeah, these were my favorite rocks. And I did give them up. But he put diamonds in their place. And it's pretty tough to talk about how important those rocks were. So I'm going to give you four concepts that are cornerstones of thought that are vital for us as a, as a family, a church family, a ministry. And these four thoughts are not new for any of you. Uh, they are all things that we, we, in this kind of a culture, they'd be very common to you. But I'll go through them anyway. Number one, God is good. Number two, nothing's impossible for God. Number three, every issue for now and eternity was settled at the cross. And number four, I, you, every person is significant. Now, those aren't new thoughts. The problem that I have found is that we in our Western rational mind, our Western rational culture, we are satisfied with concepts and oftentimes fall short of experience. 
you can go to a business school, get a business degree, and possibly never even been taught by anyone who ever owned a business. It's, it's, it's common. It's, it's common for us to elevate a person because of what they know, not what they've experienced. And that's not kingdom culture. I can prove it to you. While that may exist, you have people who teach on anything in, in the Bible, from the gifts to whatever, that they have never experienced that. And they'll say, well, their gift is teaching, not doing. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. Nicodemus said to Jesus in John 3, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. There was a connection between performance and understanding. And what's vital for us is that we require, we demand of ourselves behavior that is shaped by what we believe. And what I wanted to illustrate was we would never have somebody teach us about being born again who wasn't born again. Because it was the experience. Even, even minist- uh, churches, uh, streams in the church that emphasize don't pursue experience, I'm sure would agree with me at least on this one point, is that you would never have someone who's not born again teach on what it is to be born again. Because we require experience. So here are these four thoughts, and I'm going to give you four behaviors that I think we are to require of ourselves because of these four values. God is good. If I truly believe that he is as good as he is holy, then I must dream big. The real response of the heart to knowing a God who is as wonderful as he is, is he has invited me into a relational journey where I actually get to dream. I actually get to wonder what might be possible in my lifetime. See, many of us have servant-slave mentalities waiting for the command, and he's waiting for the dream. He's the one who said, Whatever you ask for will be done. He's waiting for someone to think for themselves in the context of kingdom reality and to bring petitions. Your faith will only explore where you know he is good. The revelation of his goodness draws faith into an exploration journey. There's great faith wherever you find people that know he is really good. The second thought is nothing is impossible with God. And if I truly believe that nothing's impossible with God, then I've got to take risk. That's the behavior. The behavior that has to function in me because in my heart of hearts, I know 
Nothing is impossible. And what's the crazy part of this equation is that we know nothing's impossible with him, but he wanted us to enjoy that that realm where nothing's impossible. And so he added a little PS. He said, nothing's impossible for those who believe. So suddenly, the eternal realm that none of us have natural access to, we just got elevated to whenever we believe. Thank you. I was just about to say that. You took the words right out of my mouth. The third one, everything was settled at the cross. That requires me to trust him in a big way when every circumstance around me denies what he has promised. I owe him that trust. Why? Because before the problem came, he created the solution. Before Adam and Eve sinned, it says Jesus was crucified from the foundations of the earth. Before there was a problem, he solved it. So I have to trust that he is big enough and intentional enough in my life that any problem that looks like he has forgotten my address, I owe him trust because he has proven himself so completely faithful that he took care of everything at Calvary. I'll pay you later. (laughs) And the final, the final point, the final point is this. I'm going to read a verse to you real quickly. The the point I, I, I made was that every person is significant. Let's, let's take it out of the generic. I am significant. I have to actually believe that. And if I truly believe that I am significant, not because I am great in and of myself, not because of talent, not because of anything. He made me in his image. And there's a place where you have to come where you believe in who God made you to be where there's a confidence not in yourself, it's a confidence in his design. He thought of everything. It says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So just think for a minute here. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll not butcher it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I was just about to massacre this thing. I, I won't need 10, but I'll take, I'll take a few. All right. So listen to, this, listen to this verse. It's in John 13. This is unusual verse because it's telling us what is in the mind of Christ in this moment. All right. So he's in a moment and he's thinking. And this is what he's thinking. You don't have this often in the Bible. It's telling us what he's thinking. It says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands... Everything that exists has now been given to him. This is interesting because he gave up everything to become a man. And now, as the yielded spotless lamb, he re-inherited everything as a man, our elder brother, 
so that we would be included in the inheritance. So what's on his mind? Everything is now his. And then the next thing it says, and that he had come from God and he knew, this is John 13, so it's just days until he's crucified and he returns to the Father. So this is on his mind. Everything is now mine and I'm about to go home. Would you say that is an awareness of significance? <laughs> the very next verse, he, he rose from supper. <laughs> Laid aside his garments, he took a towel, he girded himself, poured water into a basin, got the disciples together, and began to wash their feet. I can tell when people do not know their significance because they don't serve well. See, there's no position, when you know your significance, there's no position too low to tarnish that significance. It's the opposite. In the kingdom, it works opposite. Knowing everything was his, no position was too low, and he washed his disciples' feet. Those are cornerstones of thought. I look at them as like the, the four legs on your chair. It, it, it suspends, it sustains something. And these cornerstones of thought are actually, are, are actually um, like the cornerstone of a building. They, they, they keep things in place. And they create an atmosphere in which, well, let me use this illustration. In a greenhouse, I, I was in the Netherlands years ago, and I was in this horrible weather. It was windy, cold, wet, and ugly. And so they, we wanted to see some sights, so they took us into these huge greenhouses with just row after row after row of tulips. Those tulips wouldn't have lasted a day outside. But in this environment created by a greenhouse controlling temperature, light, moisture, in some measure, these things flourished. When the church embraces kingdom culture, God is good. Nothing is impossible. The cross settled everything. Every person is significant. When you get those cornerstones of thought in place, it creates an atmosphere in which the plants we've been trying to grow in our communities that have been resistant to atmosphere suddenly grow naturally in an environment that is created by kingdom values. And that's the mandate that the Lord's put upon us. So why don't you stand? That's, that's probably a safe place to land. Are you alive? Yeah. Yeah, still alive? That's good. That's good. I hate when people die in the meetings. Just a, <laughs> I had it happen once. It wasn't any fun. It's true. But not because of me. I didn't kill him. I just, I just died. All right. Father, we need we need to see and to think like you.
to see from your perspective, to value what you value, not just externally, but the, the heart behind the issues, the matters. Lord, I pray for divine wisdom, a discernment, a perception to be given to not only this eldership, this leadership of this ministry, the ones represented, but to the people themselves that we would burn, our hearts would burn with the perception of you and your influence in the earth and what is possible in our lifetime. I pray all of this for the honor of the name Jesus and that you would bless the journey of this family of believers as they explore what's possible in our lifetime. I thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.